1: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Katie Bors. So, this morning, the BBC chairman Richard Sharp has finally resigned after being quite beleaguered as a new report into his appointment came out. Katie, tell us about what's happened. So this all
2: relates back to a story I think first reported by the Sunday Times, which was uh, Richard Sharp's alleged involvement in facilitating an £800,000 loan for Boris Johnson while he was in 10 Downing Street. Now, the role that he played, if you look at the timeline, was before he was appointed as BBC chairman. In this appointment, he was the government's preferred candidate, and therefore, quite quickly after the original story, there are questions about impropriety, did the fact that he helped facilitate a loan, factor into why the government preferred him and a government led by Boris Johnson, who of course benefited from the loan. Is that why he was then the favoured candidate? Now, Rich Chop has a long running relationship with the Tory party. He um, has helped Rishi Sunak during his time as Chancellor. The pair go back in terms of um they were colleagues, or at least they crossed over during uh, their time in finance. So he's not just a Boris Johnson figure. And of course, has a career of his own. but. This is where it all came from and as a result it uh, went for a reported investigation by Adam Heffenstill, KC, and the report today has found that he did breach the code on public appointments by failing to declare his connection to the loan um, when he went through that process. Now, In response Richard Sharp has resigned he has argued that yes he breached it but he said this breach alone he didn't think was enough for him to go but effectively said he regretted not mentioning it and he felt as though him continuing the role would be a distraction on the BBC. I think what is interesting is if you look at uh, you know some of the discourse around today, and uh, we get back to a character in Westminster. That often when there are uh, rows of in government um, murky areas, we get to which is the cabinet secretary Simon Case. Richard Sharp effectively says, "I believed as a result of his conversation with Simon Case, where he." Uh, set him up for this meeting with the figure who, a distant cousin of Boris Johnson, who secured the loan. He says he believed that the conversation he's had with Simon Case had removed from him from any conflict or perception of conflict. Sharp says, I understood this recusal to be absolute. This was my error. Now, I think that does beg the question definitely speaking to people in government, we're back to, well, was Richard Sharp's error? <laughs> to trust Simon Case's judgment there is a point here which is the report isn't that critical of Simon Case Mm. because um, there is a dispute in the sense that I think uh, the Simon Case side are suggesting that Richard Sharp did not raise the issue with him Um, but I think the jury is very much out in Whitehall and government as to whether um, they believe that version of events.
1: So it seems like memories differ on what exactly happened um, and all roads lead to Case. Um, Isabel, is Richie seen like breathing a sigh of relief that within half an hour of this report coming out this morning, Richard Sharp had voluntarily stepped down instead of making the prime minister have to take a decision on this
0: yeah once again rishi sunak has been as uh, as detached from this as he possibly can be saying that he didn't speak to uh, richard sharp himself that he understood that sharp had spoken directly to the culture secretary and had tendered his resignation and it, it's fascinating the way the prime minister is so keen to be removed from any departure from any public role you know last Friday it was Dominic Raab uh, who had a sort of it was about 12 hours, maybe a bit longer, of of silence, really, from Number 10 after the report into his conduct, conduct uh, landed in Downing Street, uh, in which he could digest and decide what to do uh, with the information. And again, Sunak has just sort of stood back and, and, and waited for what he hoped would be the inevitable and then offered comment on it. I think the, the knock-on effect of this in terms of... Um, public appointments and in terms of the government's relationship with the BBC uh, it's going to be quite interesting. You've had Shadow Culture Secretary Lucy Powell out and about saying that, you know, this means that the Conservatives can't just appoint their cronies to public bodies. I think the Tories would hit back that that Labour had become so good at this and it had become normalised and really the shock was that the Tories were ever capable of doing, um uh, of putting anyone who had uh, similar views to them in, in any kind of public body particularly actually if you look at the the number of new Labour figures um, in in the BBC as well. But I think in terms of the Tory agenda to uh, reform the BBC, uh, this has probably caused a a significant setback uh, for that as well.
1: Katie, do you think that, um, I mean, now the Prime Minister now has the power to appoint a new chairman. What do you think Rishi Sunak is going to do? Could he be appointing someone also of that persuasion?
2: So I think it'd be really interesting. I don't get the sense right now that there is a strong sense of, of who they are moving to on this. And whether it be someone who is a long-standing figure in the institution, you can just step in. You have Richard Sharp. He's not leaving with immediate effect. He'll be there for a few months to come, which gives some time for the government. Um, but at a time when I think um, if things feel very political, and obviously the circumstances of Richard Sharp's involvement, I mean, there's as as Isabel just said, there's lots of criticism on the Labour side about the fact this is a political appointment, the fact the government can say this is their preferred figure. I think if the government is to suggest another political figure, a political appointment rather than someone they have little to do with, they will need to make sure that there there is there is little that they can then be attacked with, for that person being, you know, inappropriate impropriety, etc. Because of course we get back to Rishi Sunak's key pledge, which is that he wants to lead a government of integrity.
1: Mm. And as well, what Brexiteers are talking about today is this uh, story in The Telegraph, uh, which says that Kemi Badenok on Monday admitted that actually not so much of a Brexit bonfire of EU laws, but actually only 800 of 4,000 retained EU laws will actually be scrubbed off the British rule books in time for the deadline. Um, and tell us about what the reaction has been to this, uh, to this news in Brexiteer circles.
0: Yeah. So, uh, as you say, this was something that she uh, ab- admitted to the European Research Group of uh, Conservative MPs, uh, saying that it would uh, also saying it would be impossible to uh, scrap more laws because civil servants had yet to analyse all of the pieces of um, legislation. Now, uh, obviously, this went down like a, a lead balloon, partly because uh, of the implications for the sort of take back control um slogan, but also because of the very live tensions between the Conservative right and civil servants um, at the moment. And some Conservative MPs have come away saying, well, doesn't this just show how useless our civil service is? And Dominic Raab was right to to be mean to them, basically. So there's the civil service dimension of this. There's the um, why aren't we taking back control of our laws dimension. There is a third aspect, which is that actually the, the proposals that were being considered, that were have been put forward by Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was the champion of all of this, to my mind, they did not give Parliament more control. Um, they actually gave ministers more control just to... Um, to change law without the proper checks and balances that Parliament should have. And um, I personally think this is probably overall a a good thing for Parliament. I can understand the frustration of um, certain Brexiteer MPs, but I, uh, I admire their trust in the executive.
1: And, Katie, is it just a civil service copping flack? Because today there's also some quotes from some of these uh disgruntled MPs against Kemi Badenoch. I mean, for a time, she was the golden child of the Conservative Party.
2: I think every Secretary of State who's had the brief in terms of the EU retained law has come up with a difficulty in terms of these hard deadlines. And therefore, it's not a problem unique to Kemi Badenoch, where she said, Oh, I don't care about this, I'm going to delay it. But I do find it interesting because when she was appointed business secretary on top of international trade in the most recent, well, I suppose we had a very mini reshuffle last week. But in the most recent um, mini reshuffle, that uh, a slightly larger mini reshuffle, you had a situation by which... Lots of people at times said this is great for Kemi baden She now has a domestic brief, even though she always, of course, had the equalities one. And lots of people said this will be the launch pad for her to go and further her leadership ambitions. And I, I did at the time think, oh, if you look at the details of somebody who's extra briefs, she have EU retained law, which... I think Jacob rees all found very complicated, difficult in terms of the expectations. And you've also got steel subsidies, which is not a particular Tory um, grassroots vote winner in terms of the options on the table, whichever way you go about it. And therefore, I don't think this is necessarily number 10 trying to make life, life difficult for Kemi-Badenhock. I mean, if you if you go by that line of argument, then, you know, there are only certain... There aren't many government briefs, that are all good news. But I thought... Um, with the problems coming up if you think about the international trade brief it is one where you look how Liz Trush used it lots of people think it is quite like a good news department some people are a little bit sniffy about it in the sense I don't think there's that that much substance in it and I think she now has quite a difficult brief and it has the potential to be the making of a
1: minister but I think it's
2: also the most challenging brief she has had to date
1: Katie and Isabel, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening at home. Now, if you want to see more Coffee House shots and live, then you can come to our live Coffee House Shots event on the 10th of May, where Katie will be joined by Fraser Nelson and Camilla Tomini to chew over the local election results and the coronation, what it means for British politics. To get tickets, you can go to spectator.co.uk forward slash coronation.
2: To celebrate the coronation of King Charles III, you can subscribe to The Spectator and get the next 10 weeks for the price of one. Not only that, but we'll also send you a commemorative Spectator mug absolutely free. To claim this very special offer, go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash crown.